Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So we, again, we are in Genesis chapter 28, and the title of the message is God's Presence. God's Presence. Now in the text, as far as human characters are concerned, we're going to see a lot of Jacob. And his name means hill catcher, deceiver, or supplanter. And now in order to get a better understanding of what we'll see in the text this morning, we'll need to talk about Esau, and we'll also need to talk about birthright. Now Esau is Jacob's twin brother. Now while Esau and Jacob were in their mother's womb, and their mother, by the way, is Rebecca, they struggled with each other to the point where she had to go before the Lord and ask the Lord, what is going on? And so in Genesis 25, verse 23, the Lord gives her an answer. It says that the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now, when Rebekah gave birth, Esau, who's the forefather of the Edomites, he came out first. Then the scriptures tell us that Jacob came out and he was holding on to Esau's heel, his twin brother's heel. Now, based on God's word, Jacob, the younger brother, would get the birthright, which was not how it usually worked. It was out of order according to the culture and according to man. But God decided to work in a different way. And whatever God decides is right. We shouldn't complain about what God decided. But yeah, even then, even back then, while they were still in Rebecca's womb, God had let her know that the older shall serve the younger. So the birthright would go to the younger And now this birthright is made up of two parts. Number one, it deals with possessions. And so the older would always get the double portion of the possessions. But number two, the birthright dealt with position, which meant that the older son is over the younger son. And so it was a birthright of leadership. Now, these two young men, they they got older. Esau would go ahead and sell his birthright to Jacob just for some stew. He was tired. He was weary. He didn't care anything about the birthright. He didn't know the value of it. All he knew was that, hey, I'm tired. I'm starving. I'm about to fall out. Who cares about this birthright? And it was Jacob's idea, by the way, to, to make that deal. You sell me your birthright, then you'll get some of this stew, brother. And of course, Esau sold his birthright. 
And then as Isaac, their father became old and he could barely see, it came to the point where he wanted to bless Esau, the oldest. And this will be with the blessings that the older son would normally get. So he was treating Esau as if he still had the birthright. But before he blessed them, the scriptures tell us that, that Isaac sent Esau out to hunt some game, some wild animals, and bring it back to him to eat. And after he ate the food, then he would bless Esau. Well, mom wasn't having that. Mother Rebecca was not having it. She overheard what Isaac had requested of Esau. And she set things up and even got Jacob, her son, involved to make it seem as though Jacob was Esau bringing Isaac the food that he had requested. See, we learned that, that Esau was dad's favorite, but Jacob was mom's favorite. And so she's looking out for her son. And, and I'm sure she remembered that word from the Lord that said that the older would serve the younger. And so the whole purpose of this deception from Rebecca and then getting Jacob involved in the deception was to ensure that Jacob would receive the blessings from his father, Isaac. And so in doing that, she didn't trust the Lord in this situation. And I know some of us have been in that spot and maybe some of us are in that spot where you see what the word of God says or maybe the Lord whispered something to you in a still small voice or has given you a timely word about what he's going to do in your life or whatever his will is, but you're not sure of the timing. And so you're going to pull some strings on your own and you're just going to make things happen. Not trusting the Lord, just like Rebecca did not trust the Lord in this situation. And so it turns out that Isaac, the father, ended up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And so, so God's plan was worked out, but he didn't need any help, any deception from men. But God's plan worked out. But when Esau heard about it, oh, he was upset and he wanted to take Jacob out, his own twin brother. He wanted to kill him. And Rebekah found out that Esau wanted to kill her favorite and when she found out, she made up a plan to get Jacob out of town because she wanted to keep her baby boy safe. And now the plan to get him out of town would be to be a concerned parent, a concerned mother that Jacob was going to marry some pagan women, some women of the land. And so she went to Isaac and she shared that with him. I don't want our baby boy to marry anybody from the land. So she shared that concern with Isaac and Isaac, of course, bought into it. But again, it was really a cover up to get Jacob away from Esau, who wanted to kill him. But now the story picks up in verse one of Genesis 28, and it says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, which would be Jacob's grandfather, and, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. In other words, Jacob's 
uncle. So yes, he told Jacob to go to Padan Aram, which means field. And it's a plain or a tableland in northwest Mesopotamia in Aram, in a region of Syria. And in this scenario here, as you heard the background to the story, it was easy for Isaac to buy into what Rebecca told him about these women in the land that, oh, I just want to send Jacob off to marry a family member because I don't want him dealing with these women in the land, these pagan women. And so, yes, Isaac bought in because the scriptures tell us in Genesis 26 that Esau had married some Hittite women and they got on, they got on Rebecca and Isaac's nerves. And so they already had some experience. And so Isaac was like, oh, yeah, you're right about that. Let's send that boy off. <laughs> See, the Canaanites, they, they weren't serving the Lord. And so Jacob was right to send him away to a family, to his family, in order to find a wife. Or more likely, or actually, it was Rebecca's family. But yet and still was Jacob's blood relatives. And yet we can go off into another study on that, but I don't want to get off track because people are going to talk about, oh, is that incest and all this stuff, but, but that's for another study. But the scriptures are plain. The scriptures tell us to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And you know what it looks like when animals are yoked, when oxen are yoked together with some type of wooden apparatus to have them work together, plowing, whatever they were doing. Now, can you imagine if you had an ox with a little poodle yoked together? That wouldn't be fun, not for the poodle. So can you imagine a believer and an unbeliever yoked together in marriage? Somebody is going to influence the other. And unfortunately, in many ways, it's the, it's the unbeliever giving heartache and headaches to the believer in that marriage. And unfortunately, many times it ends up all bad, especially if there's children involved. And so it's beneficial to just listen to God and not go into this missionary dating thing. But the first thing you should find out about that individual as if they are a believer, if they are a born-again Christian. But then Isaac proceeds to, to bless Jacob in verse 3, and he says, may, may God Almighty or El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham, which was Jacob's grandfather to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger or a foreigner, which God gave to Abraham. And so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the, the Syrian, who was the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And so he, Isaac praised the blessing of Abraham upon Jacob. And so those promises that God gave to Abraham, you see, flowed through Isaac and now through Jacob. 
And so it's clear by this prayer now that, that Isaac recognizes that the birthright has been transferred indeed from Esau to his twin brother, Jacob, the younger twin. And so you see that he is more comfortable with God's plan. And right there, I'd like to pause and ask you to reflect on that. We see that Isaac is more comfortable with God's plan, but how about you? Are you more comfortable with God's plan? Or should I ask, how comfortable are you? Yeah, maybe you would like for things to go a certain way, but God may say something different, which would be something better, in fact. But, but are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with God's plans? Are you comfortable with the fact that God is eternal and he knows exactly what he's doing, that he knows the end from the beginning, that he is the almighty God and that he is good and gracious and merciful and holy and whatever he decides is holy and good. And it has some grace sprinkled in there. It has some mercy sprinkled in there. But are you comfortable with the plan of God? You see, in verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and he sent them away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed them, he gave them a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau is observing this and Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, which was Ishmael's firstborn son. And, and so Esau took Mahalath to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So Esau, he picked up on something from Isaac's conversation with Jacob. And based on that conversation, Esau made a decision to get a wife who's a relative, someone from his dad's side of the family. So Jacob went with somebody from the mom's side. He's going to find somebody from dad's side, still a relative. This is, from, this is somebody from my uncle's side, Ishmael's side. And so what Esau is looking for is his father's approval. But I would encourage you to to get used to doing things for God's approval or do things to please the Lord. You know, I have four children, and when I raise my children, I, I, I try to instill the word of God in them and principles of God in them and raise them in the word of God. And no, I, nobody can say that they were perfect parents. I wasn't a perfect parent. I'm still growing. The Holy Spirit is helping me, praise God. We still have one in the house still. But I told my children, I, when I said no to something, I want to make sure that I explained to them why I said no based on the word of God. And I also didn't want them to say if they were out in public or out at another family's member's house and that family member or that friend asked them to do something. I didn't want them to say no, they weren't going to do it because dad said so just to please dad. No, I wanted them to get to the point where they said, no, I'm not going to do that because God says it's wrong. See, I wanted them to understand that they needed to please God. And what I'm sharing with them, how I'm trying to raise them is based on the word of God, not based on Darrell's or Donique's handbook. 
And so when we do things that please the Lord, when we make that our first priority, what's going to happen in the, in the mind of a godly parent is that the godly parent is going to be pleased. Why? Because you're aiming high first. And it's the same way at work. Or if you, if you aim to please the Lord at work, then your employers usually will be pleased with that. Or it's like the same way with the coach. If you, you plan your sport to, to bring God the glory, then your teammates and your coaches, they're going to appreciate that because they see that you're not cheating anyone. They see that you're being a godly example, even though they don't even worship the same God you worship. But if you aim to please the Lord first, everything else will trickle, trickle down. But Esau was focused on pleasing dad, but Again, I would encourage you to focus on pleasing the Lord first. And now Jacob went out from Beersheba in verse 10, which was a city at the south edge of Israel. And he went toward Haran, which was located in Mesopotamia in Padan Aram. And so Jacob came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And Jacob took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And verse 12, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder or a stairway was set up on the earth and it and its top reached to heaven. It reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, on that ladder or stairway. And so Jacob started in Beersheba in the southern area of Israel, and he traveled to an area that's a little north of Jerusalem. It was a city called Luz, and and Luz will eventually become Bethel, as we'll see. But let's talk about that dream in Luz or Bethel. Because in that dream, it says that he dreamt about a ladder, And this ladder, this stairway or staircase connected heaven with earth. And that's so significant because Jesus took that same imagery in the New Testament in in, in John chapter 1 verse 51. And Jesus said that he is the ladder. You see, he was talking to Nathaniel who would become one of his disciples when he said this. Because the scriptures in John 151 says, he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that I am the one who connects heaven with earth. I am the one who connects us to a holy God. If you want a relationship with the holy God, with the invisible God whom Jesus reveals to us, then you come through me. You see, Jesus is the means by which heaven's spiritual blessings come down to the earth. He is the stairway. He is the ladder. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Don't let the world fool you. Don't let the politicians fool you. Don't let some of your so-called friends fool you. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. See, God desires to fellowship with this people. And so we thank the Lord for the ladder, the ladder with the capital L. We thank God for Jesus Christ. But as we continue, it says, and behold, in verse 13, the Lord, behold, Yahweh, and we don't even know if that's the proper pronunciation of it, 
It didn't have any vowels there, but when you see LORD in all caps, it's Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H. Some say Yehovah or Jehovah. But anyway, the Lord stood above the ladder or the stairway and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. So this is obviously in the land of Canaan. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And in you and and in your seed, all the families or nations of the earth shall be blessed. And the Lord says to him, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I know you're going off to find a wife in some other land from some relatives. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And so God communicated with Jacob in a dream. He made promises to him. And the same promises God made to Abraham and Isaac has been passed down, as you can see here, to Jacob. And I know many of you are Bible scholars and you recognize this. You see, God is going to, number one, be with Jacob. Number two, he's going to keep or protect Jacob wherever he goes. And number three, God promised to bring him back to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And when he hears that, that should have helped his faith as he faces trials. And not only where he is now, but wherever he's going, if he faces a trial, this word, these promises from God should build up his faith. And when we read about the promises of God, when we hear about the promises of God ourselves, it should also build up our faith because we should understand that, hey, all is not lost, that I'm heading somewhere and God is faithful and he's going to keep his word. But it says in verse, verses 16 and 17, and we're going to circle back and touch on this. But it says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And Jacob was afraid. And he said, how awesome, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took a stone That same stone that he put at his head and he set it up as a pillar. Why? It was a memorial to his experience with God. And then Jacob poured oil on top of the stone to consecrate it or declare it sacred for God's purpose. And then he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loosed previously. So Jacob renamed the place. He renamed it Bethel, which means house of God. But it used to be called almond tree. That's what lose means. And praise God, there's, there's a renaming that takes place with our house, so to speak, with our bodies or temples, so to speak, because once we repent, once we are born again, after putting our faith in Jesus, then, then guess what? We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are renamed the temple of the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity of God. And so that happens when God comes into the picture, just like how God came into the picture there and lose that name was changed to the house of God. Praise God. Our bodies are no longer the temple of sin or the house of sin anymore. Our bodies belong to God and it is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be determined. And we have to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit to live for him and to give him glory. Why? Because our bodies were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. 
And we celebrated communion to remember that. And there is a scripture, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, and I know you're familiar with it, but I'll read it anyway. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? But we continue in verses 20 and 21. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. See, some scholars believe that if God will be with me is really since God will be with me. However, there's many Bible versions that use the word if. And so we see here that Jacob made a vow to the Lord that the Lord will be his God if God will be with him. Speaking of God's presence, that the Lord shall be his God if the Lord will keep or guard him in the way he is going. And and if God will provide for him so that he'll bring him back to his father's house in peace. Now, now speaking of vows, because Jacob made a vow, you're probably wondering, some of you is probably wondering, how often should I make a vow or should I make a vow at all? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 says that when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Oh Lord, if you just rescue me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And many people have broken that vow, but the Lord is not telling us that that's something we must do. So it's better to not even make a vow at all than to make one and then break it. Now, assuming that Jacob really said, if God be with me, then that means his making the Lord his God will be based on what will God do for him. But praise be to God that we have already seen what God has done for us. We, we can look in the Old Testament. We can look in the New Testament. We talked about Jesus at length already today, and the service isn't even over. But we've seen what the Lord has done for us. We've seen that great sacrifice that Jesus paid for us on that cross. He paid our spiritual death because whether you know it or not, oh, we're all spiritually bankrupt in and of ourselves, and, and we needed Jesus to pay off those IOUs, those IOUs that came in the form of animal sacrifices. Those were just IOUs pointing to Jesus Christ and Jesus paid off those IOUs so that there will no longer be a breach between us and God. And so we've already seen what God has done. And so based on what he has done, we have already made him. Many of us have already made him our God. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior and Lord this morning, I pray that, that you would not ignore the tugging of your heart by the Holy Spirit and just repent, surrender. That will be the best decision of your life. But Jacob, in, in verse 22, he says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar or a marker shall be God's house. It will be a place for worshiping God. And, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth. And so Jacob pretty much said that he'll give a portion of all the possessions the Lord will give him back to God. Now, I just want you to understand that whatever blessings we have in general come from God. The scriptures tell us that all good things, all perfect things come from above. 
whether it's a spiritual gift, whether it's a skill or a talent, whether it's finances or resources, a, a beautiful marriage, beautiful children, it's come from God. And so we always should remain grateful. And so really, whenever we give to God, we're just giving God of his own resources. You know, in First Chronicles 29, 14, just a tiny bit of background, King David had just led the efforts in gathering resources for the building of the temple, which his son Solomon would go ahead and build. And the people began to give willingly and generously. And so David began to bless or praise the Lord. And this scripture ties into what we're talking about, that everything we have really belongs to the Lord. And so David, as he's blessing the Lord, as he's praising the Lord, he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this for all things come from you and of your own or from what belongs to you we give to you. And so what a blessing it is to be able to give to the Lord whatever he has given to us. And it's not, it's not a financial talk. It could involve that. But God has given us breath. And so we return that breath to him, so to speak, as we lift up those sacrifices of praise. Oh, God has created our hands. And so we honor God and we just give them back the hands that he gave us when we raise our hands and surrender. But before we leave this morning, I, I do want you to keep in mind the reason that Jacob left home and the reason that he's in this place. Remember that he is on the run from his brother Esau who wanted to take him out. And many of you have been in those sibling wars. I, I didn't get into too many fights with my brothers, but I remember and I told the story. I, used to, I have an older brother and sometimes he would try to make me jealous and he would get my other little brother say, come on, Calvin, so I could get jealous. And he was doing that in high school. I was in high school trying to make me jealous. But you have these little sibling wars, sibling fights, but we love each other. But Esau, he wanted to take him out because he deceived him. He deceived Esau or, or, Jake or Isaac. And, and he stood as if he were Esau and he pretended to be him. And, and he took the blessing that Isaac wanted to give to Esau. And so Jacob's emotions as he's on the run, they, they must have been running wild at this point. You see, he's on the run from his past mistakes. He's leaving family that he spent all his life with. He, he left this mother. Remember, he's a mama's boy. He's on his way to a place he's never been. He's going to look for people he's never met. And he came to a place it says a certain place in the scriptures here. He had no intentions of staying there. You see, it's a place that didn't seem to provide much comfort. There wasn't much comfort there. In fact, the man had to use a rock for a pillow. And then Jacob, we saw that he had a dream. And in this dream, the Lord comforted him with some promises. These promises that were also made to Abraham and Isaac. And the scriptures tell us that, that Jacob become, became aware of God's presence in that place. Because Genesis 28, 16, that said, it says that when he awoke from his sleep, he said that surely the Lord is in this place. And guess what? I did not know it. I wasn't aware of it at first. 
he became aware that God was there in that place. You see, in this place of fear, in the place of discomfort that he was in, God was there, although he didn't recognize it at first. In his moment of missing mama's cooking, of how he was going to um, relate to these new relatives, or if he was really going to find a wife, if this plan was going to work out in his time of anxiety, God was there. The Lord was in that place, although, Lord, I didn't know it at first. I wasn't aware of it at first. And there are some things that we look back on in our lives and we couldn't tell that God was there. Oh, oh there were times, for example, when, when I was a baby and, and my mom told me that I, had a, that I had a seizure because my fever had gotten too high. Oh, my mom may not have known it there at that time when, when I was having that seizure, but the Lord indeed was, was in that place. He was in that circumstance. Oh, there are some accidents many of you have probably been in or could have been in and some accidents that I've been in and some accidents that have been avoided where at first you couldn't tell that God was in that place, but you, you came to and you realized, oh, God was here. Surely the Lord must have been in this situation and protected me and sparing my life. Surely the Lord is in this place. Oh, in my place of fear, in my place of doubt, in my place of worry, when I felt forsaken, I couldn't sense the presence of God. But as I look back in time at that situation and I see how everything fell into place, how everything worked out, I could say the same thing that Jacob said, that surely the Lord was in that place. You see, maybe you feel to this morning that that you're in a place that's uncomfortable for you or maybe you feel that you're in a place or maybe in a circumstance that feels God forsaken, that it's absence from the presence of God and remember that God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere at the same time but then thank God that at times he, he chooses to invade time and space and works specifically according to his will in our particular situation and then we can clearly sense his presence And we can say once again the same thing that Jacob said. I didn't know, God, that you were here. I didn't know that you were here this whole time. But but since you showed me how you're working things out and since you showed me that, that you are indeed with me and that you'll never leave me, surely you're in this place. And it could be something that you're involved in or a problem that you're having and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything, but, but I tell you that even when it seems that God is silent and when God isn't doing anything in your problem, in your situation that you're having, understand this, that God is still up to something and he's going to move according to his own time. Oh, you're looking at the culture, you're looking at the political climate right now and you're like, oh my God, I cannot, I can't tell that you're still here, but God is still working. You know, I can tell because you're here right now and you're still gathered together. You're not pouting. You're not staying at home because everything in the world is not working out according to your plan. Now, hopefully you understand that. Oh, oh, God, I don't know what the leaderships in this country relationship is like with you. But but as we're gathered here together and as many of us go home, surely, Lord, you are 
here. You are still working. You are with us. I want you to understand that, yes, God is present. He's present. In fact, according to Hebrews 13 and 5, the scriptures tell us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And you have to ask yourself this question, will God ever lie? If he said that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that means he won't leave us nor forsake us. The scriptures tell us that there's nothing impossible for God. In fact, there is one impossible thing it says, and it says that it's impossible for him to lie. Why is that? It's because that is not a part of his nature. In fact, Satan is the father of lies. And Satan has no part of him. And that goes back to not being unequally yoked together. Or what communion have light and darkness together? They don't. There is no real fellowship there. And so God is not like Satan who will lie. Oh, he'll keep his promises. He won't leave us nor forsake us. God is very present. And because he is present and he won't leave us nor forsake us, then Philippians 1, 6, or the second half of that makes good sense. That he's going to finish what he started. Says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he's faithful to his word. He was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he'll be faithful to us. In fact, correction, he is faithful to us. So as the worship team takes the stage, I just want to say to to you all, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to say that we must get ready for some new memorial stones. In other words, I'm talking about testimonies and praise reports. Get ready for some new testimonies. Get ready for some new praise reports or memorial stones because they will recount the times that God is going to intervene in our lives and in our circumstances. And I believe that because I believe that God is surely with us. Amen. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you are to us. You're a faithful God. You're a loving father. And we praise you this morning. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who feels forsaken, they they came here this morning and they felt that it was nobody in this world who loved them. Lord, may they may they sense your love for them. May they go back to the scriptures and see how much you love them to the point where you sent Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. Didn't do anything to please you. Weren't even looking for you, but but Jesus died for us. Your children, Lord, they belong to you. And you're going to care for your own. Lord, you're not like some fathers who abandon their children, Lord. You, you stick with your children. But I do pray, Lord, that you help us to sense your presence. 
Help us to do a better job of that, Lord. So if there's anything that's getting in the way of us sensing that you are working in and through our lives right now, there's anything in the way that, that you are not near to us right now, I pray that you remove whatever's, whatever's there, Lord. We continue, Lord, to lift up our country. We, we pray for the leadership, Lord, and all of those who are not saved, that, that you remove the spiritual blinders and draw them to Jesus. But then those who are in leadership, who are believers, may you help them to not compromise and to be light and salt. And may you use the church, Lord, to continue to be about your business and sharing the gospel. That's what's going to change people's hearts. The gospel message. It's the power of God to salvation for those who believe the Jew first and also the Greek, your word says, Father. And I just pray your blessings and protection upon my brothers and sisters today, Lord, as they celebrate Independence Day. And Lord, may you bless the fellowship that they're going to have with other believers. And if they're around family and associates and friends who are not believers, may may you use my brothers and sisters to be light and salt. And may you bless their day and use them in a mighty way this week. Bless Pastor Jim and Claudia, Matt, Gina, and the girls. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen, amen. If you're able to stand, please do. As we sing another song of praise and worship to our awesome God. Thank you so much for coming out. If you need prayer, you'll have people here willing and ready to pray with you. God bless you. And we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.